Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. We'll be in the passage that Jay read for us, so find your New Testament. should be easy to find. Matthew chapter 10. So we continue on our sermon series, The King in His Kingdom. Matthew chapter 10, we'll be starting in verse 26. So I trust that you're there or close to it. Here I am. Trust you're close to it. Let's pray, and uh, then we'll get the ball rolling. This morning, we'll uh, look at our sermon entitled, Fighting Fear. Fighting Fear. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us do that. Father, we pray that you would be among us, that you would be powerfully at work within us. We are so grateful for your written word that you have preserved, the, the very words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he teaches us what it means to be his followers, what it means to be his faithful disciples, even in the midst of fears. And Father, there is much to fear in this world if we are left on our own, but we are not. You have given us your spirit. You've given us your promises. And for those of us who are in Christ, through faith in Christ, we have the promise of eternal life, that they can kill our body, but they cannot take our souls. And we are so very grateful for this eternal security that you have purchased and sealed for us through the work of your Son and through the Holy Spirit. Spirit, we ask now that you would be with us, I pray that you would help me to speak that which is true and faithful and accurate. And that, Holy Spirit, you would come in power in my heart and the hearts of these folks that are here. Lord, as we submit to your word, we want to learn how we can live lives that are not fearful, but fearless. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Well, this morning, I want to begin with a list of weird things but true things that people actually fear or have phobias over. And hopefully I can pronounce them rightly. Number one, there is a phobia called elatophobia. Elatophobia. It is the fear of going bald. Men, some of you may have it. The fear of going bald or the fear of bald people. How about this one? Chetophobia. Chetophobia. It's also related to hair, but quite the opposite. It is the fear of hairy people. So when you're at the beach and you've got the guy without a shirt on, lots of hair, you might have chetophobia, right? Um, how about, how about this one? It's also related to hair. Pogonophobia. It is the fear of beards. Patrick, are you here? <laughs> how about this one? Syngensophobia. Syngensophobia. Uh, some of us might come down with syngensophobia around the holiday time. It is the fear of relatives. A real thing. You always knew it, right? How about this one? Listen to it closely. Asymmetriophobia. Asymmetriophobia. What do you think that's a fear of? The fear of asymmetrical things. That's right. The the fear of asymmetrical things. I must admit that I have this. When I decorate, things have to be symmetrical. I like symmetry. So maybe I have this one. How about this one? Globophobia. Globophobia. No, it's not the fear of globes. You might be thinking that. But close. It is the fear of balloons. So if you go to a kid's birthday party, right, and they're balloons, watch out. Globophobia. How about this one? I feel bad for those who have this one. Churophobia. Churophobia. It is the fear of cheese. Now, I don't know if it's all kind of cheese or just, you know, holy Swiss cheese or something like that. But the fear of cheese. 
Sad life. How about this one? Nomophobia. Now, now this one some of you might actually have. Nomophobia. It is the fear of losing cell phone reception. Cell phone service. Now, if you live in Cisna Park, you know, you don't want to have this, right? How about this one? It's probably my favorite. See if I can... It's, it's really long, so I'll try my best to pronounce it. Arachbutophobia. Arachbutophobia. It is the fear of having peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. Have you ever had that? It's an awful feeling, right? Ooh. Okay, now, of course, these are things that are not really reasonable to be afraid of, right? They're sort of funny. We, we, we sort of think it odd when people are afraid of cheese or of balding people or of bearded people, right? However, there are things in life that are legitimately and sort of understandably fearful, that, that reasonably might elicit some fearful response in, in us. And so I don't know about you, if you were here with us last week in, in Matthew chapter 10, but when we, when, when we hear Jesus say things to the twelve and things to us like he did in chapter 10, I think it's very reasonable that it could elicit fear in us. So friends, what, what comes up in your heart when you hear Jesus say things like, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Or, you will be flogged in the synagogues. Or you will be brought before governors and kings. Or when Jesus says things like, when they arrest you. That's scary stuff. Or when Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death. And his father, his child, and children will rebel against their parents. And have them put to death. Or, or when he says, you will be hated by everyone. Because of me, friends, if we were honest and if we take Jesus' words seriously, that makes us fearful. Right? That elicits a level of fear. Fear is a natural human response to to danger. For instance, it was a summer's night and there was a severe thunderstorm. And and a mom was tucking her small son into bed. She was about to to turn the light off when he asked her with a trembling voice, Mommy, Mommy, will you stay stay with me and sleep with me all night long? And smiling, the mother gave him a warm, reassuring hug and said to him tenderly, Honey, I can't do that because... I have to sleep in daddy's room. Well, a long silence followed, and at last the silence was broken with the little boy saying in a shaky voice, that big sissy. (laughs) You know, fear is a natural human response to danger, and thankfully, as we continue to work our way into Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus prepares the twelve and for us for the suffering and the hostility um, that we might face on his behalf. Thankfully, he tells us in verses 26 through um, 39, 31, excuse me, don't fear. In fact, he says it three times, just in case we don't get it the first time. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. So friends, how are we not supposed to fear when we are like sheep among wolves? Why is it that we cannot be afraid when we're brought before governors and kings, or when we are arrested, or when we are hated by everyone, why is it that we cannot be afraid? Well, Jesus gives us three reasons, and we see those three reasons in the text, because it's, he says it three times. Do not be afraid, here's the reason why. Do not be afraid, here's the reason why. So, first of all, why can we not be afraid when we face opposition or hostility or persecution because of our, because of our faith? Number one, 
We can do it because the truth will prevail. Because the truth will prevail. Verses 26 and 27. Stories told of a husband who had stayed at the bar a little too long and had one too many beers, and he was sneaking up the, the, the stairs at his home quietly. He didn't want his wife to know that he had been drinking. And as he got into the mirror, he looked at the mirror and realized, man, oh, I've, I'd, gotten a, I'd gotten in a fight earlier, and he just had some bumps and some bruises and some scratches. And so he proceeded then to, to, to get some bandages and band-aids and sort of into his his wounds and he climbed into bed and his wife was sound asleep and he thought that he had pulled one over on his wife that was however until when morning came and uh, they both uh, woke up and his wife was was there angry and he said honey what's the matter she said you were drunk last night were you not he said no of course not what would make you think that that was the case he said well if you weren't then who put all the band-aids on the bathroom mirror Uh uh-oh he'd been caught right Brothers and sisters, we should not fear because like in the case of this particular husband, the truth will prevail, right? The truth will become known. Our accusers, our persecutors will not get away with what they think they are getting away with. See, just before this verse in verse 25, Jesus speaks of the slander that he received during his earthly ministry. He said that uh, they called him Beelzebub or the prince of demons, right? They were slandering him. And it's in that context that Jesus says verse 26. He says, so do not be afraid of them. There's our first one. Do not be afraid of them. Why? Well, he tells us, for, here's the reason, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Friends, here Jesus speaks of a time, of a a coming day of judgment for the slanderers and accusers and persecutors of his disciples and of Christians, a time when their hateful and malicious and accusatory or lying words will be brought into light. And the truth that the Christian speaks and has lived will be validated and vindicated. Friends, we don't have to fear what they say to us. We don't have to fear what they say about us because Jesus promises that the truth will prevail. Notice what he says in verse 6. In that context, he says this. Do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them, right? Nothing that is concealed will be disclosed. Nothing hidden will be made known. Jesus, I think, picks up on a truth that Solomon wrote all the way back in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse, verse 14. Solomon wrote, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. That's what Jesus is saying here. They will be judged. You will be vindicated. He continues in verse 27. Because that is the case, we can have great confidence in what we say. Verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim in the rooftops. In other words, you don't have to be afraid to speak the truth. What I'm telling you in private, tell them in public. Don't be afraid to speak my word. Don't be afraid to speak my gospel. Don't be afraid of the slander that will come your way because you do. We can be bold in our proclamation. We can be bold in our conversations with our friends even on sensitive subjects. Why? 
because the truth will prevail. Beloved, for those of us who have been accused of things, who have been slandered, who have been misrepresented because of our faith, this is great news. This is great news for those of us who have been called names on Facebook or even in person because of your stand for Christ, because of the, the word, or because of your morals or decisions. Rejoice. You and I can be bold in doing that. We can be bold in sharing the gospel, standing for our morals, defending the truth, because we know there is a day coming. There is a day coming when we will be vindicated. Friends, the gavel will fall in our favor. So rejoice. We should not fear because the truth will prevail. Friends, we may not win the culture wars. We may not win the culture wars. We will win the truth war. We will win the truth war. So reason number one, why should we not be afraid? Because truth will prevail. So what he tells us in the darkness, speak in the daylight. And what he's, he whispers in our ear, proclaim on the rooftops. There's a second reason, and we see it in verse 28. Do not fear, Jesus again says. Do not be afraid, he says. Why? Because we should fear God more than we fear man. He says, don't be afraid of what may come upon you because of your faith in me. Don't fear what they might do to you. Not only should we not be afraid of what they will say about us, but in verse 28, he says, don't be afraid of what they will do to us. Why is that? Read the text with me, friends. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Just as an aside, does Jesus believe in hell? Yes, clearly he does. That's not in the sermon, that's just an aside. Jesus clearly believes that there is a place of eternal and just punishment in hell. And he says, we should not fear those who can kill our bodies. Yes, that's painful and that's scary. But he says, don't, don't fear people who can just take away your life. Fear God who can take away your soul, so to speak, who can send you to hell. That is the one that you should be more afraid of. The story is told of a, of a, of a king many, many centuries ago in the country of, of Hungary. And he was a believer. It was during the time of the Protestant Reformation. And God had saved his soul. However, this night, he had been in a pattern of sin, and he was depressed. He was unhappy, and so he sent for his brother, the prince. His brother was a good-natured man, but sort of indifferent. And so as the story goes, he called in his brother, and he said, I, brother, am a great sinner, and I fear to meet God in judgment. But the prince just sort of laughed at him and sort of shook it off. Of course, this was not helpful towards the king's disposition. And so night came, and uh, as was customary in those days, if an executioner should sound a trumpet and blow a trumpet outside of anybody's door at any hour, it was a signal that your life was about to be taken from you and that you would uh, be led to the executioner's gallows. So the king decided to teach his brother a lesson. 
he sent the executioner to his brother's door. And his brother heard the fateful blast and he realized what was happening. And so he quickly got dressed and in great agony of terror with his knees knocking before his brother. He said, my brother, how have I offended you? And the king said to him, brother, if the sight of a human executioner is so terrifying to you, Shall not I, having grievously offended my God, fear to be brought before him at the judgment seat of Christ? Friends, this king understood what Jesus meant when he tell us when he tells us not to, to, to fear man, but to fear God. Jesus tells us that the worst that our persecutors can do to us is kill our bodies. Friends, there's something worse than death. Did you know that? There is something worse than death. And Jesus tells us what it is. It's being sent to hell, right? That is even worse than death. He says the only thing they can do to you is kill you. But what can God do to you? He can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Man can only hurt us physically. But mankind cannot hurt us spiritually. But friends, God can. They cannot take away our soul. They cannot take away our destiny. That is secure. His point was that God has the power over the disciple after he dies. Whereas human adversaries can do nothing but simply kill our bodies. When I hear Jesus speak in this way, right? That death is not the worst thing in the world. That they can kill our bodies, but they can't kill our soul. I'm reminded of a stirring speech on one a movie that I used to enjoy quite a bit. It's called Braveheart. You've heard it before. It's very violent, right? Um... But in that movie, William Wallace, right, the great William Wallace of Scotland, he gives a speech. He is on the verge of war, and he has a band of, of brothers, of Scotsmen, and they are on the verge of retreating. They, they don't want to enter into war. And so he gives them this stirring speech. Let's watch about a minute of it. I am William Wallace. And I see... A whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take Stirring. 
is it not? I think Jesus says something similar here to his disciples. He says, friends, they may take our lives. They may take our bodies. But friends, they cannot take our ultimate freedom. They cannot take away our eternity. So we should not fear. Because we fear God more than we fear man. We fear God more than what we fear that man can do to us. Friends, let me be clear. This is not true for you if you are not a Christian. If you have not been born again. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior. Friends, you should fear death. Because that's just the first death. The Bible says there's two deaths. The first death is physical, and the second death is spiritual. Friends, fear death if you don't know Christ, because you will experience the second death. For all eternity, God's just wrath against your sins. Friends, you should be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, it is a good thing to fear God. It is a good thing to fear His holiness. It is a good thing to fear His wrath if we have not been sheltered from that wrath through faith in Christ. Jesus took that punishment for us on the cross. He died in your place and in mine, and He rose to offer us new and eternal life so that we don't have to fear death. But friends, let me be clear. If you are not a Christian, fear death because there is a second death coming. You know the words of amazing grace? Of course you do. Most everybody does. There's a, there's a line in Amazing Grace that speaks to this, right? The work of God's grace in our hearts. It was grace that taught my heart to what? How's it go? It was grace that taught my heart to what? To fear. Have you ever thought about those words from Amazing Grace? That's what this means. God's grace teaches our hearts to fear Him and to fear His just punishment in hell. But it's also His grace that does what? Right? It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And what? Grace, my fears, what? Relieved, right? See, first, God's grace has to teach our heart to fear hell and to fear God. And it's only when our hearts are taught to fear that, then the sweet grace relieves our fears because we know faith in Christ. Friends, when I was 12 years old, I sat in church like you're sitting in church and I've heard and I hear the preacher speak of the gospel like I pray you're hearing me speak of the gospel and I knew that I was not a Christian and every Sunday I would go to that place and my heart, my, my, my stomach would be in knots and it wasn't because I was hungry. It was because God was teaching my heart to fear and I remember getting in the car after church numerous Sundays and thinking, if my dad has an accident on the way home, I'm going to hell. I remember thinking that. And it was true. And it was that fear that awakened my heart to God's grace. So, unbeliever, fear death. But Christian, if you're here today and you know Christ, don't fear death. Don't fear death. Fear the one who can kill body and soul and hell. And the great news of the gospel is that he won't kill your body and soul in hell because you know him. For those of us who know Christ, the question that, then that faces us is as we face hostility and as we face opposition for our faith, the question is, who do we fear most? Who do we fear most? Do we fear our family? Do we, do we fear our foes? 
Or do we fear God? See, when the, the emperor Valens threatened Eusebius, a 4th century Christian pastor and a historian and apologist, with confiscation of all his goods and torture and banishment and even death, do you know what he said? He said this, and I quote, He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death when it is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. Friends, did he fear death? No. He did not fear death. He feared God. So we don't have to fear because truth will prevail. We don't have to fear because we should fear God more than man. And finally, in verses 29 through 31, disciples of Christ should not fear because God is in control. Verse 29, Jesus goes on to say, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What is Jesus doing? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater, from the smaller to the bigger, from the less valuable to the, the most valuable, right? He, he, notice the illustrations. He uses the sparrow. If God cares for sparrows, and if God knows the moment that they die, friends, these were insignificant birds. They still are today. In fact, they were uh, sold at a tiny fraction of a day's wage to the poor people so they could eat them, right? This is worth nothing, this tiny, insignificant bird. And yet, does one of them fall to the ground without God knowing? Say no. Does one of them die without God caring? Say no. How much more does God care when his faithful followers die? How much more does God care when his faithful followers suffer because they trust in him infinitely more? Notice the second illustration. He says the number of our uh, the hairs of our head are numbered, right? Friends, if the, if the number of hairs on our head are numbered, and friend God, friends, God, God knows that the number on my head seems to sort of be diminishing through the years. If he knows that, then he's sovereign over the persecution that I face, over the hardships that I endure, even over the circumstances of our death, whether it be at the hand of foes or naturally. This truth gives us great confidence when our persons or our lives are threatened for our faith. General Stonewall Jackson, maybe you've heard that name before. He served under Robert E. Lee. And he apparently was a man who took Jesus' words to heart. His biographer, Robert Dabney, suggested that, quote, It was the fear of God which made him so fearless of all else. And Jackson himself wrote in his, um, in his, um, it's a little book, diary, thank you. In his diary, quote, My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. Think about that. I feel as safe in battle as I do in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. He understood what Jesus was saying. Friends, do we? Do we understand it? Friends, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear because the truth will prevail. We will be vindicated. We don't have to fear what they will say about us because the truth will prevail. We don't have to fear what they might do to us because 
God is in control. He is good. And we should fear him more than we fear man. Because the truth will prevail. Because we should fear God before man. And because God is in control. Friends, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. A friend or a foe. Fear not. Speak what he has for you to say. Shout it on the rooftops. I'm going to close with this story. You may be familiar with the books called the Chronicles of Narnia. Many movies were made about them years after. Of course, it's an allegory written by C.S. Lewis. And there are two girls in this early scene, in the lion and the witch in the wardrobe. And of course, they're in Narnia, and they meet two beavers, right? Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver. And the beavers are preparing them, saying, Aslan is coming, right? He, he wants to meet you, who of course is the Christ figure. And so um, Susan, one of the, the girls, says, Ooh, um, I thought that Aslan was a man. Um, I, I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she says. That you will, dearie, says Mrs. Beaver. And make no mistake about it. If there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just stupid. Then Lucy says, Then isn't he safe? Mrs. Mr. Beaver replied, um, Don't you hear anything what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But then she adds these words, But he is good. He is good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, what we've learned about Jesus so far is that he's not safe. It's not safe to be a follower of Christ. If you're looking to be safe, then don't look to be a follower of Christ. But friends, if you're looking for eternal life, if you're looking for life in the heaven, in the hereafter, if you're looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then follow him. Jesus is not safe, but friends, he is always good. He's the king. Let's pray. Father, teach us in these days of increasing opposition and hostility and consequence where it costs us something to be your follower, where it costs us something to speak your word, where it costs us something to be faithful. Oh God, help us not to fear. Help us not to fear what they may say about us, what they may say to us. The truth will prevail. Help us to be bold. Lord, help us Help us not to fear what they may do to us. Help us to fear you. And Lord, help us not to fear, for you are sovereign and good and in control, and you love us more than we could possibly imagine. You know the day of our death. You know the circumstances of our death. And we trust you with those. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. See you next week.